You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. The Gospel of John is maybe one of, if not the most beloved books in all uh, of all the books in the Bible. In fact, it is called, it's often called God's love letter to the world. Okay? Now, we all have probably memorized that famous verse in John chapter 3, verse 16. And I think that's a pretty good summary of the good news that you find here in this book. You know, whenever people do street side evangelism, for instance, when I went on foreign missions to Cambodia and also to Thailand, we were given these gospel tracts, but really they were um, a packet of the Gospel of John, and it was in Thai or in Khmer, and we would then go to the street side and evangelize and, and distribute uh, these wonderful little books. And I have personally known friends who have come to know their Savior through the words of this gospel more than any other book or passage in our Holy Scriptures. But still, this book is not just an evangelistic tool because it contains actually some of the sweetest promises ever found. Some of the sweetest words anyone might hear, especially if you're facing any type of hardship in life, any type of grief or any type of duress. You see, God's words are here and they're for you. Not only that, the teachings that you find here, the discourses offer, I think, some of the most profound explanations of why Jesus does the way he does and what, what the way he teaches and the explanations of all these wonderful things, his plans, what they're all about. They're all found here in this Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is also one of the most self-consciously theological book of all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But the reality is that in this past century, this book has been oftentimes challenged, okay? It's been challenged through and through, like as if the Apostle John, who under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, was somehow incapable of writing a theological presentation of the life of Christ. And so virtually everything about this gospel was challenged from the authorship to the authenticity, the historicity, to the uh, time of writing, to the reliability in his history, all this. But yet still somehow, out of the dec decades and centuries, this book has, this great book has stood the test of time. Can we say hallelujah? Right? Archaeological evidences continue to come up with wonderful findings found in the Dead Sea Scrolls and also fragments of ancient manuscripts that are hundreds of years older than any known uh, manuscript before that, that validates how real, how genuine, how authentic these writings are. Even skeptical, non-believing, critical scholars, they admit that this gospel has really eyewitness accounts of, of, of an apostle, one or, or, or several who have lived the same time and, and place as the Savior. So this book, you can trust, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. You can trust this book. The Gospel of John is such a key book in our Bible that Martin Luther wrote of it. He said, it is the chief gospel. Should any tyrant succeed in, in destroying the Holy Scriptures and only a single copy of the epistles to the Romans and a single copy of the, of the Gospel of John escapes him, Christianity would be saved. Like that's some high praise going on. That's how important this book is. The book of John, it must be trusted. 
But more than that, it must be meditated on, right? It must be simply read. And so as we go through this book, I want to encourage everyone here, everyone here, to read through it on their own. So, for instance, on the weekly life group discussions, you will see on the bottom, your leader will probably say this to you, on the bottom you'll see the next week's sermon passage. Okay? That's what we're going to try to endeavor to do so that you all know what's coming up. And so as I prepare my sermon to be able to preach, I would hope and pray that you would also prepare to listen. Right? And so you would investigate and read for yourself the good, the good word and so that we can all come together and just be able to worship uh, under the authority of God. Can we do that? Right? So that's my challenge to you all, and that's the challenge that every life group leader will bring uh, to their life group leaders every single week. Um, and so with trembling, joy, and delight, let's begin our journey as I open, you, uh, open to you all the first words of this precious book, which will, I think, lead and determine our pursuit of knowing Jesus and making him known. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Can I hear an amen to that? Like, here's the thing. As I was racking my brain as to how I could expound on this amazing verse, the Lord convicted me, and his conviction was this. I was reading through, and I was scouring. I was going over my, kind of my online resources, my Logos uh, program, Bible program, and all this stuff. And the thing that God kept on um, replaying in my mind and my heart was this, so what? He said, so what, David? Now, here's the thing. In seminary, you'll learn kind of the, the grammar and the syntax behind all this stuff. The verb usages within this verse and how the tense of this verb is used four times and it makes this imperfect tense and so on. And maybe that explanation we can, we can talk about some other time here. But now I simply want to relate to us all what God had said to me this week. And that is, so what? So what? So what if you have, according to this, some continuous action, past time that's denoted by imperfect tense? Don't feel like you're, I'm trying to impress you. I'm not. Like, so what if, if we kind of just go over the grammar of all that? So what if you know that Jesus lived in eternity with God? So what if you read that, the, that Jesus dwelled in perfect unity with God? So what? What does that mean for us? Practically, what does that mean for us? In other words, you see, the Holy Spirit in my preparation was convicting me that information must lead to transformation. Information must lead to transformation, but you see, it all begins with a proposition. Okay? You see, Jesus is God. You believe that? Yeah? And that's what this verse tells us. Jesus is God. And that means we have really one of two choices to make about that. We can ignore it or we can embrace it. You can reject it or you can receive it. You can love it or you can hate it. But those are the only two choices we've got. Only two choices. If Jesus isn't God, then there's no point for these Sunday services. There's no point reading the Bible or there's no point in praying or worshiping or doing anything good outside of us wanting good done back to us. If there's no God, then there's no truth. And I can do as I please, when I please, how I please, and if I please. We have to make a choice here. This is the proposition. If Jesus is God, then his words have to be the greatest words you've ever heard. The greatest words ever spoken. Words that you would want not just to hear on Sundays, but words that you want to just immerse yourself in. Words that you want to meditate on, love on, and keep on. If Jesus is God, then we have an example of how to live and how to love, how to share, how to disagree, how to pray, and how to be. If Jesus is God, then we have what we need and what we'll ever need. Is Jesus enough for you today? If Jesus is God, then there can be no other gods. 
Because if you believe in the very first line of this book, then the things that are fighting for your affection, your attention, your heart, your time, your money, your dreams, your ambition, those things must be squashed. If you believe that Jesus is the word, for there to be other gods in your life, that would be a contradiction because in Isaiah 45.5 it says, I am the Lord and there is no other. But you see, brothers and sisters, we read this book, and while we read it, we proclaim, Jesus, you are our God. But in the same breath, we're declaring that there are many gods. In the same breath, we're declaring that there is the God of happiness and the God of success and the God of money and the God of family and the God of so on and so forth. You see, it wasn't in the beginning, it was your dream. That's not how it started. It wasn't in the beginning, it was your happiness. In the beginning, it was your marriage. In the beginning, it was your children. In the beginning, it was your reputation. It was none of that. In fact, it was in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is about God. It is only about God and will always forever be about God. And we got to understand that. But more than understanding, we got to surrender to that. You feel me? So, that's where we start off. As you go into this for the next, I don't know how long. <laughs> I went to the bathroom and then Jiwon said, PD, I hear we're going through the Gospel of John. I go, yeah. And he's like, was that three, four years? <laughs> and I said, maybe two. Is Christ your king or not? And so with that humble surrender, let's go into the word, okay? Here's my first point. Jesus made it all. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus made it all. Now, in the first couple of verses, the emphasis was about the persons of God. But now from verse 3, we begin to see the first work of God, in other words, the creation. And so what part did the Word or the Son have in that creation? And the answer is, very good, everything. Everything. In verse 3, the Word was God's agent in creation. Now here, you see this positive-negative phrasing here, okay, that John uses. First, here's the positive. All things were made through him. And then we have the negative. Without him was not anything made that was made. So in plain view, we see that there's nothing in our text that leaves open the possibility that a lot, what a lot of people espouse to. They think that God kind of made it, and then he kind of stepped away from it. And he allowed life to just kind of evolve and just kind of do its own thing and take its own course. But no, we don't see that here. Jesus made it all from the first day till today. Okay? He is creator. So what are the implications of this truth for us then? First is this. If that God, is that if God, uh, <clears throat> the Word, made the universe out of nothing, then he is not part of, or rather he is not mixed in with creation. Meaning this, he existed before it and continues to exist apart from it. Now this is important because in this day, a lot of people believe that God is part of everything and everywhere. They believe that. They believe that all people are children of God. They believe that the trees have the spirit. I blame Pocahontas, that movie. They believe that God is some impersonal spirit kind of swirling around like some vortex of energy around us. The technical term that you might hear, for those of you who are in apologetics class may have already learned this, is pantheism. The problem is this. If you think that God is in everything, then that forms, I think, a gateway of idolatry. 
And we have that. We see it all the time. Holy water, crucifixes. Somehow if you walk around in dark alleys with a crucifix, somehow you feel safer. So you can stab people with that? What, where does that come from? Rosaries, pictures or statues of Jesus. These, are all, these all become temptations to elevate as some sort of God-like object, as some sort of deified object. You know, when I was in Swaziland, Africa, I was worshiping in literally a hut. A hut with six African brothers in Christ, with no musical instrument, no podium to preach behind, no pew to sit on, no mic to sing in, nothing but the clapping hands and the stomping feet and the Bible to lead us. That's all we had. And then and there I experienced a truer worship than when I was walking around inside the Vatican in Rome as people, and I'm not kidding, were going around kissing the bronze statue feet of the apostles. And when I, was st- when I would go to them, I'd say, why are you kissing their feet? And they said, because the Lord will bless us. I'm like, so y'all kissing the big toe. Like hundreds of people were kissing the big toe. Why don't you give some love to the other toes? It doesn't make sense, but that's what we're doing. They're idolizing these statues. Second, if Jesus made it all, then that means everything is dependent upon him. And this is a hard pill to swallow. And oftentimes it's a hard truth to discover even as a Christian trying to grow in their walk with the Lord. And the truth is this. You cannot ever truly be independent. Okay? Hear me out. You cannot be truly self-sufficient because everyone and everything is nothing apart from Christ. You hear me? So if you're prioritizing your independence, as I, if, if I would admit, I think we all kind of tend to do at times. Be careful. Be careful because if you keep going down that rabbit hole of self-reliance, the Bible says you'll become a fool. The fool says there is no God. You cannot maintain independence from Christ because, here it is, either you will admit your need for his grace and your need for his mercy today in this lifetime, or you will admit your need for his grace and his mercy when he sits before you as judge and jury laying out your eternal punishment. Your independence, your self-reliance, thinking that you can do anything apart from him in this life, all that is all an illusion. It's not all an illusion. And to Christ, for him, that illusion, it is seen as defiance. Not only that, thirdly, if Jesus made it all, then really only his purposes matter. He made the universe for his own reasons, and we were called to serve him. So, on anything you pick up or buy or borrow these days, it all has a registered trademark, doesn't it? Right? And it says, copyrighted by so-and-so. And it makes sense because people, they file suit to protect their own creative work. So the inventor or let's say the writer or whomever, they have complete right to their own work. And so any violation is considered theft. It's a serious deal. It's a serious crime. 
And what we need to realize from this text is that on the back of everything that exists, every pile of dirt, every breath of air, every tree that we cut, every child that we might bring into this world, on the back of every piece of this universe, there is a stamp, if you will. It says, copyright Jesus Christ, all rights reserved. If you agree with me, say amen to that. Here it is. We have no rights. We have no rights. Your body, your time, your thoughts, your energy, not even the smallest particle of energy or, your t- or time is yours. Everything you have is only entrusted to you. Everything that you have is only entrusted to you for you to take care of and use for his purposes. You know, sometimes I joke with my kids. And when I mean joke, I mean I say something and laugh at my own joke while my kids stare at me. And I'll say stuff like this. I'll say, Ada, clean up the room. I made you. Now, I understand there's absolutely no relationship to those two things. And I'll kind of laugh because I'm like. But I'll say, I'll say it because it gives me a sense of authority. Sometimes I feel like something I have to constantly prove to my kids. I matter in your life, right? So here it is. Even in that small fact of, yes, Grace and I, we made these kids, the truth is, even though we made them, I don't own them, if that makes any sense. This means that, this means that I can't just willy-nilly do anything I want or not do anything I want with them. I've been given a task to raise them and to protect them and to guide them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord because even my precious children, though they may look like us and even though they possess a genetic makeup, they are created in the image of God and their lives that have come into existence as our children is only by the grace of God. They, they weren't born into my family because somehow God's like, you know, I owe you one. David, you've been, you've been a pretty good servant these days. I, I owe you a couple kids. They are his. They are his. I have no right to abuse them. I have no right to lead them astray. I have no right to indoctrinate them with worldliness and godlessness and falsehoods because at the end of it all, they are his And when you realize that, and when you practice that, and when you pray that, that's quite sobering. You start thinking, God, you are God. And I am not. Brothers and sisters, your gifting and your talents, are you using it for the glory of God? Because it's his. It's his. Are you good at making money? People are like, ashamed of that. No, good. Make a lot and serve his plans. Are you good at art? Then good. Serve God and make things that are good and beautiful. Are you good at sports? Then good. Use your platform of of athleticism to promote Christ. Are you good at writing and reading? Then good. Write books and write articles. Publish work to help people understand who our God is and who we worship. Our talents and our time, everything is God's. Copyright Jesus, all rights reserved. Jesus made it all. Amen? My final point is this. The witness of Christ shines in our souls. The witness of Christ shines in our souls. Let me read verses 4 or 5 again. In him was life, and the life was, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, the word of God is not just about bringing creation into existence, but life within creation. Life within creation. There's a key phrase here, and that's the first part. 
In him was life. In him was life. Now, if anyone ever has seen the Sarah McLaughlin commercial on rescuing dogs before, you know what I'm talking about? I know, it's like ancient. This is back when people had TVs and they watched TV, right? But watching that commercial, you might come, you might leave with a sense of, wow, dogs are pretty important. Like, I think I would have a hard time choosing between helping a suffering human being and a poor, abandoned dog. Like, that's the takeaway. We have a dog. His name is Stevie. He's a golden doodle, and he's okay. <laughs> Ada, my daughter, she asked me one day as I was, Mommy, after I prayed for her, and she said this, Daddy, do you love Mommy? I said, of course. She said, do you love Junior? I said, of course. She said, do you love me? I said, of course. And what are you, Jesus, testing me like Peter? <laughs> and then she said, do you love Stevie? And I said, no. I like him. I don't love him. And then I said, Ada, if Junior and Stevie were in trouble, can you promise me that you will help Junior first, okay? And then she said, but I love Stevie so much. And then I said, look, I think we got a problem. <laughs> Mankind is singled out, not only from inanimate creation, but also from all other living things. Plants and animals, which, by the way, if I were to be honest, yes, we share a lot of common traits with, but in verse 4 it says, and the life was the light of men. We have been given a unique life. Yeah? Turn to the neighbor and say, you have a unique life. We have been given a human life. It is a God consciousness which reflects his image in us. And so what this does is that it gives us, you and I, people, humans, the capacity to know God. The capacity to know God. You see, God has revealed himself to us. Now, this doesn't mean that we're all enlightened and that we're all fine, that we're all, you know, we can live our lives without God. No, no, actually, many people still deny the light. We turn from the light. We hate this God consciousness that accuses us, right? Every time we fail, every time we kind of have brokenness in our lives, every time we, we fracture this fellowship with our creator, we run away from the exposure from any of this light from God. I and mean, why else do you think the heart of the gospel message is simply the admission of our sinfulness? and the confession of God's holiness. We hate being exposed as broken and failed people who are in need of a Savior. So what does this verse 5 mean for us then? Well, you see, like Romans 1 talks about, we're all without excuse, and we can't just pass the buck and say, play the ignorance card and say, I didn't know. Because the word of God says, you know enough to be culpable. You are without excuse if you reject me. For I have planted the very life in your soul, the testimony of my light. So what is God saying to us today? He's saying this, folks, don't run away from the light of Christ. Don't run away from the light of Christ. And the light of Christ, it is exposing, which is why people run away. Because it is uncomfortable. You feel me? right? That light is shining in your life right now. Do you know that? Right as you sit here, you are, the light of Christ is shining 
into you as you hear from the Bible. You hear it also in your life groups. Every time a brother or sister picks up the phone and calls you, say, how are you doing? I missed you on Sunday. What's going on with your life? I want to know. I want to pray for you. What's going on? That's the light of Christ shining down. And every time you say, I don't want this. Leave me alone. I'm busy. And you throw out a million excuses. What are you doing? You are shunning the exposing light of Christ. I don't want any part in this. I don't want to be transparent. I don't want to pursue after authenticity. I don't want a genuine relationship. I don't want you to know my shame. When you read the Bible, the light of Christ shines down upon you. And many times we don't want to read it because it, again, exposes our shame. Don't put yourself in danger of turning away from the light and knowledge of God. But secondly, this passage also points to us the introduction of Jesus. So here's our situation, okay? We all know that God exists, and so we're without excuse. But the problem is, is that we're consumed with darkness, which aims to constantly eclipse what light is left within us. And so often we live in the shadows of sin and rebellion. We say, this is my past. This is who I am. This is what I know. This is all my life. So I'm going to constantly live this way. I'm going to let just cycle in my life. But here we're reminded by this glorious truth that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Did you hear that? Hear it again. The darkness that shrouds your life right now, the skeletons in your closet, if you want to call it that, you thinking that you failed as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a student, as a worker, whatever it is, that you've had premarital this and you've done this and all that stuff, that darkness that keeps you from wanting to grow and your fear of it being exposed, you see, Christ is saying, I have come not to just blame you and not to just condemn you, but to overcome that darkness. What does that mean? What does overcome mean? It means this, that the darkness of sin and doubt, you being estranged from God, there's an ache in your soul today. There is an ache in your soul today, and that ache is the witness of Jesus who wants to expose it so he can give you freedom. Because he knows he is your only hope. He knows that he is your only salvation. And he wants to remind us here that we were made for better than this life of sin, but a life of freedom and joy. Darkness cannot overcome the amazing, overwhelming light of Christ. Amen? You see, the footprint of God is imprinted upon our souls. And you will see it even more clearly and closely as you dive into the living word of God and be reminded of who God is and who you are to him. So don't let your fear, don't let your past wounds from people, from even your former church or even from this church, your ailments, your guilt and shame, don't let it suppress any truth that you have in your life any longer. Remember, Jesus made it all. It starts with him. And also the witness of, of Jesus shines in your soul. So much so that even the darkest of darkness in your life, the blemishes, the things that you are so humiliated by and guilty of, you see, Christ has come to overcome it. Let the light of Christ shine bright. Welcome into your life the exposure of your sin by his truth. And here's the thing. It's going to hurt when it happens. Yeah. It's going to hurt. 
but by God's grace, you will be healed. That pain, those wounds, it will heal, and you will grow in your life with Christ. This is his promise, and this is the beginning of John. Praise God. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Father, we thank you again for your amazing promise that truly you are salvation. You are our Savior. You are our Redeemer because you are the Word. And we thank you that in your perfection and holiness that you would still look upon us in such love, with such grace, with such mercy. And you have given us that amazing promise of my light is in you and, not, and I will not let darkness overcome you. Folks, be free. Not that your past wounds and sin didn't matter. It did. After all, it is what nailed Jesus up on that cross. But come before him trusting that his grace is more than enough. Trust that he offers you new mercies. He's not holding over your head. He's not lording it over you. He's saying, I want to give you freedom. I have victory. Satan thought he had vanquished me up on that cross on Calvary when I died, but he didn't know. We continue living our lives of sin and rebellion and doubt suppressing truth, thinking that this is our demise. We're done for. And Jesus said, you don't know. I vanquished it. The shame and this guilt, I have taken it. Release it to me. Surrender it to me. All this thing that we call life, that we call our our plans and our purposes and our ambitions and things that you're working and striving for right now. Losing sleep over and pursuing. It is Jesus's. It's all his. Give it to him. Give it to him. Let's take a moment just pray. Let's seek after the Lord. And let's confess with our hearts. Jesus, I have been so far removed from you. I've been straying from you, God. Let your light shine down upon me and draw me nearer to you, even if that means I am exposed. Open my heart. Open my heart, Jesus. Let's pray.